Great to see you here. I want to welcome you here, whether it's at our worship center or over in our Ridge venue. Uh, my name's Michael. I'm one of the pastors. I just want to welcome Can you believe summer is over? I get, they keep on pushing it back. Pretty soon school will be starting in the middle of July. It's like killing me. Like, what is the rush, right? But uh, anyway, it's, uh, it's great to, uh, to have you here today. And we're going to go on a time of teaching. But before we do, I just want to put my uh, two cents in with uh, life groups. You know, if you're new to Rocky Peak, you may not know this, but life groups, these small groups that meet every week, are the hub of our church. In fact, last spring, we had 87% of our total adult weekend attendance in a life group. And so uh, we're excited about that. And uh, we're going to have almost 160 life groups meeting in the four valleys that we serve. Uh, And so this, uh, this week, I believe it's on Friday, I will be sending out a letter to you an email about uh, uh, how to sign up. So if you're already in a group, signed up, that's great. But if you're new especially, this will explain how life groups work, what the commitment level is. And I want to give you a heads up on one thing we're doing new that we're very excited about is that uh, this, this fall, we're doing here on our campus, we don't normally do groups on our campus, but we're doing several uh, what we call rooted life groups here on our campus. Now, earlier this year, we took our whole church and small groups through rooted. It's amazing small group experience imported from Africa uh, several years ago, and uh, just an amazing experience of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, big picture view, very experiential, uh, helps you get into a rhythm of relationships, spending five days a week with the Lord, about 20, 30 minutes, prepare for that, a couple outside experiences, serving, uh, and prayer experience, and it's a fantastic experience. And so we're going to be having several of those rooted groups on Tuesday nights here. And if you're new at Rocky Peak, I would highly recommend you consider that be your first small group. It'd be a great entry into life groups. And so in my letter this week, I will fill you in on that, but I want to let you know that that's coming. And I would encourage you that uh, these do fill up very rapidly. And so I encourage you to, to jump on that on Friday. You have the most options available. All right. So we're going to go into our time of teaching right now. It's going to be shorter today, which I know for most of you think is a miracle. Um, <laughs> But uh, we, we have so many baptisms this weekend, uh, my message kept getting shorter and shorter and shorter as the week went on, so I'd like to just close in prayer right now. Uh, and hey, wait, why are you so excited? Uh, so inside your program is a green and white message note sheet. I encourage you to take that out, especially if you're new. Um, you'll see it's kind of an abbreviated one today, but what we're going to be talking about is very important. So let's, uh, let's pray, and then we'll jump in. You guys ready to go? Let's pray. God, we're excited to be here and to be pursuing you as your people in your place under your leadership of King Jesus. And we thank you for uh, your authority in our lives. We thank you that you're king over creation. And we come today to learn how to follow you in the kingdom. And we pray that you would guide us and, and, and lead us during this time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, so today, uh, for those of you who are new, uh, we are in the midst of a series we've been in for quite a while now that's called Unfiltered, uh, the Audience of One. And and like I said, if you're new, this is a series about Jesus. And so what we've learned in this series is that when it comes to Jesus, we often have a lot of, I like to call them filters, 
that kind of cover our eyes or kind of cloud our view of who Jesus is. Sometimes these filters are based on the way we were raised or early church experience or Sunday school or sermons we've heard. Sometimes their influence, the filters come from secular experience, maybe uh, college courses about Jesus or PBS documentary uh, or even secular media or things you hear in the media about the gospel of Judas or the gospel of Thomas or something like that. But our goal in this series has really been to go back in time to the first century to one of the earliest biographies of the life and teaching of Jesus, which is called the Gospel of Matthew. And so what we're doing in this series is right now, we're in the midst of the most famous message Jesus ever gave. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, It's covered in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We're actually heading towards the end of it. Last week, we started into chapter 7. Uh, We're going to continue that today. As Jesus today is going to wrap up and summarize uh, the main body of teaching that he's been giving us in the last three chapters. And so if you have your Bibles, you have your apps, I'd like you to open up and turn them on to Matthew chapter 7 and verse 12. If you were here last week, you know we stopped at verse 6 last week. We're skipping verses 7 through 11 because we actually covered those earlier back when we talked about prayer in Matthew 6. And so we're going to go jump to 7, 12 today. Just one simple verse um, Uh, because of baptisms, but also because this really wraps up the teaching of Jesus. And uh, so he says in chapter 7 and verse 12, so in everything, he's kind of wrapping up this message, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets, or what, uh, that's a way that the Jews would describe the Hebrew Old Testament, the law of Moses and the prophets, Uh, what we would call the Old Testament today. And so Jesus says, do to others um, what you would have them do to you. Now, what do we call that? Good, Uh, 14 of you. Okay, Uh, I forgot, nine o'clock. So what do we call that? Yeah, golden rule, right. And so that's there in your note sheet. You see a section that uh, unfolded the golden rule that we're in. So uh, interesting sidelight, historical sidelight. You might wonder why, you know, who came up with the name golden rule. It goes back to the third century AD. So 220s, 230, there was a Roman emperor named Alexander Severus. He was not a follower of Jesus, but he was so impressed with his teaching of Jesus as sort of a key to the good life, he had it inscribed on the walls of his palace in gold. And ever since then, it's been known as the golden rule. But of course, the question for us is, why does Jesus say that this one teaching, doing others what you wish him to do to you, why does he say it sums up all the teaching of the law and prophets, the whole Old Testament. And so to, to understand that, we have to go back to the early, an early statement he made at the start of the main body of teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. And so if you were to go back to chapter 5 of the Sermon on the Mount, and there in your note sheets, a section called The Golden Rule, The Law and the Prophets, uh, if you were to go back there, uh, you may remember this. Now, remember, we started teaching on the Sermon on the Mount last July. We've done a couple things uh, in between in the year, but we started in July. So if you were to go back, say, to last fall, as we were kind of getting into the Sermon on the Mount, one of the questions that came up very early in Jesus' ministry was, how does your teaching fit in with the teaching we've received all our lives as good Jews Uh, from our religious leaders, like the Pharisees and teachers of the law, 
because they're telling us that their teaching is based on the law and the prophets, the Old Testament, and your teaching seems so different often than their teaching. So have you come to destroy the law and the prophets? Have you come with a different message? Are, are you telling us that Moses is off base? Are you telling us that the prophets are off base? Because what you're teaching is very different than what we've been hearing all our lives from our religious leaders. And Jesus told them, absolutely not. I have not come to contradict or destroy or abolish the, the law of Moses or the prophets. I've not come to destroy them. I've come to fulfill them. In other words, bring them to their fulfillment in the way that the last chapters of an epic novel summarize and bring together all the earlier themes and characters and plot line of a great novel and bring it to fulfillment. He said, so I've come not to abolish the law and prophets, but to bring the story of Israel to its completed destiny, its end, and to bring out the true meaning of the law and prophets. And so if you were here way back then, you remember that in chapter 5, after making that statement, Jesus went on to give us six examples of this is what you've been taught your whole lives, the law says and means, but I say to you. So you do you remember that? You, you've heard it said, thou shalt not murder, but I say to you. You've said it, you, you've heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery, I say to you. Right? So he gave them like six examples of God's vision for true human thriving, the lives we were designed to live. He gives a, a bigger, it's much bigger much brighter, much deeper, much richer than the religious teaching of the day. And so he's kind of contrasted religious righteousness with real righteousness, being transformed to be like our Father. So the sermon starts with, hey, did, have you come to abolish the law and prophets? No, I've come to fulfill them, bring them to their appointed end. And that's how it starts. And now if we go all the way to chapter 7, as he wraps it up, let's look at 7.12 again, now in this slide. And in 7.12, he says, So in everything, in every area of your life, do to others what you would have them do to you. And this sums up the law and the prophets. So have you come to destroy? No, I've come to fulfill. He gives us, two chapters of teaching, what that looks like. And he says, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, and that sums up, fulfills, brings out the meaning of the law and the prophets. Are you with me? You following this? Now, here's what's something that's really interesting. When Jesus was about 14 years old, there was a very famous, um, there was a very famous rabbi in Israel he was actually living in Jerusalem. He died in Jerusalem when Jesus was a teenager, approximately 14. And his name was Hillel. Now, you may have heard of him. There were two very famous rabbis that led schools of thought in the time of Jesus that often disagreed with one another, Hillel and Shammai. And so Hillel was one of those famous rabbis. And he was once asked, uh, Hillel, is there a way to summarize, kind of sum up the law of Moses? And he said, yes. And this is what he said there in your note sheet. Remember, he's a contemporary of Jesus. He said, 
do not do to your neighbor what is what? What is hateful to you. This is the whole Torah, the law of Moses. The rest is commentary. So when Jesus was 14, this guy was teaching in Jerusalem. Jesus may have known him. Remember when Jesus was 12, he went to Jerusalem as he was his normal custom with his parents for Passover, and he was in the temple discussing the law and asking questions and learning from the leaders of the day. Hillel may have been one of those guys. We don't know. But it's interesting that uh, Hillel says something very similar to what Jesus will one day teach. But I want you to catch this. There's an important distinction. Hillel says, do not do to others what is hateful. Or do not do to others what you would not want them to do to you. Jesus turns it around and makes it much bigger and says, don't just not do to others what you wouldn't want them to do. In other words, don't, not just don't do harm. He says, do to others what you would want them to do if you were them. Now, this is much bigger. But what I want to suggest to you as modern-day Christ followers we are often more disciples of Rabbi Hillel than we are of Rabbi Jesus. Right? And so let me give you an example. Like some of you grew up in a Christian home. And if you did, it's, chances are that there was times in your life where your parents said you, you had some sort of plan. I'm going to do this. And they will say to you, hey, would you want someone to do that to you? Or forget about growing up in a Christian home. If you're married right? Uh, would you want someone to do that to you? And you say, no, then, well, then don't do it to them. And this is often how we apply this teaching of Jesus, is don't do to others what you would not want them to do to you. But Jesus' teaching is much bigger, richer, and deeper. He says, no, take the initiative do to others what you would want them to do if you were in their situation. So let me give you an example. Jesus once told a very famous story, short story, a lot of you are familiar with it. We call it the story of the Good Samaritan. And so I know that a lot of you are familiar. I'm not going to go into great detail about the story, but I just want to make a point, right? So this is how the story goes. Once upon a time, there was a Jewish man. And he went from Jerusalem, which was at 2,500 feet above sea level, of course, Jesus didn't say that because they knew that, but you don't, right? So once upon a time, there was a Jewish man. He lived, uh, he, he, was make, he was taking a trip, a very dangerous trip from Jerusalem, that's 2,500 feet above sea level, to Jericho that's below sea level, 15 miles away. Now, this was a very dangerous journey. It's very barren land, even to this day. And as a result, bandits would hide out, and they would attack travelers, especially people who were stupid enough to travel by themselves, right? And so... He says, so once more, there's this guy, and he traveled. He made this trip, maybe not the brightest guy, right? And sure enough, he's attacked by bandits. He's beaten up. He's left for dead, and, he, uh, and, he's, and he's ripped off. They rip him up. And he says, so he says, then two religious guys, right? Remember, religious righteousness. Two religious guys, a priest and a Levite, um, not together, but one at a time, they both come by. Now, catch this, they don't do any harm. 
They don't go kick him. They don't check him out to see, did they miss a few bucks? Right? They, they didn't like, oh, there's a credit card they missed. Like they didn't do any harm, but they just walked on the other side. And then a Samaritan comes along. Now, Samaritans and Jews had a long-standing racial and religious hostility. It had gone for hundreds of years. These were natural enemies, and yet this Samaritan who's a natural enemy, he reaches out across the aisle, so to speak, and he loves this man who's been injured, and he treats him as if he were a friend, and he binds up his wounds, puts him on his donkey, takes him to an inn, pays for his care, says, I'll be back in a couple weeks, put it on my bill, I'll pay it when I get back. And Jesus says, that's what it looks like, this is why I told the story, that's what it looks like to love your neighbor as yourself. That's what it looks like to do good to others as you would wish they did to you. It's not just to refrain from harm. That's hello. It's to take steps of radical love. What would you want done to you if you were them? I love how the way Pastor John Piper, who's a famous pastor in the Midwest, but he puts it there on your note sheet. Jesus commands, as you love yourself, so love your neighbor. Now, remember, by the way, the reason Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan was someone asked him, who is my neighbor? What does it look like to love my neighbor? So he tells the story. So, so he says, Jesus commands, as you love yourself, so love your neighbor. Which means, as you long for food when you are hungry, so long to feed your neighbor when he's hungry. As you long for nice clothes for yourself, so long for nice clothes for your neighbor. As you desire to have a comfortable place to live, so desire a comfortable place to live for your neighbor. As you seek to be safe and secure from calamity and violence, so seek comfort and security for your neighbor. As you seek friends for yourself, so be a friend to your neighbor. As you want your life to count and be significant, so desire that same significance for your neighbor. And as you work to make good grades yourself, so work to help your neighbor make good grades. As you like to be welcomed into strange company, so welcome your neighbor into strange company. As you would that men would do to you, so do so to them. In other words, make the measure of your self-seeking the measure of your self-giving. Isn't that good? And so Jesus says, hey, let me wrap it up. The last two chapters I've been teaching you all day of God's vision for the kingdom. What does it mean to be part of this movement of God where God is coming as he's promised Israel over for a thousand years that one day God would come and bring, turn all things right. He said that kingdom is very near. What does it look like to be part of that kingdom? Don't think I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I'm doing a new thing. No, I'm coming to fulfill them. Let me explain. I'm coming to bring this story to an end. Let me explain what the true teaching of the law and the prophets was all about. And he's been doing that for two chapters. And now he says, so let me just summarize it. In terms of your relationship with one another, not loving God, but in terms of your relationships with others, do to them what you would want them to do to you this summarizes, fulfills the law and the prophets. It is a vision of radical love. Is it not? 
It's a vision of loving God, loving others, and that love doesn't mean just don't do harm. It means take initiating steps to love others radically as God has loved us in Christ. And so Jesus, with this, wraps up the sermon. This is what it means to be part of the kingdom, is to come under my leadership. Allow me to transform you by my spirit, and let me to teach you to live as your father lives, who even loves his enemies. This is what it looks like to live the law and the prophets, is to live a life of radical love. Amen? Now next week... We're going to be continuing on because Jesus then is going to begin to bring this message to a close, much like we would do here. We've done the teaching. Now we want to apply it and bring the challenge. What are we going to do? So the next two weeks, Jesus says, now you've heard me. I, I want to give some warning and challenges because now you have to decide, now that you've heard what my kingdom is about, you have to decide, do you just listen and like or are you going to listen and follow? Like I've said before, are you fans or followers? And so the next two weeks, we're going we're gonna to watch as Jesus brings us to a close. But for today, we're bringing together, we're closing the main body of the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus says, this is what it looks like to live the law and the prophets. I'm bringing it to fulfillment. We're going to love others as God has loved us, which is a life of positive, self-initiating, radical, we could call it reckless love. Amen? Amen. So today, we have the privilege of baptizing some believers who have come to a place where they believe Jesus is who he claims to be. They want to come under his leadership. They want to receive his gift of forgiveness. They want to become part of his kingdom and join him in this vision of living out a life of radical love for God and love for others, what we call passion, being becoming a passionate Christ follower here at Rocky Peak. Amen? So here's what we're going to be doing, is that if you're here to be baptized, go ahead and make your way to the front. Right now, uh, we're going to be going into a time of worship um, as they're coming forward and preparing for our baptisms, all right? So would you stand with me? I'm going to pray us in as we celebrate this reckless love of God that's come after us that he calls us to model in our lives as we've learned about today. So let's pray. Father, we just thank you for the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus that makes all things new. We thank you for the incredible vision of world-changing, radical love, self-initiating, positive love. We pray that today as we celebrate your love, we recognize the call of your word that as Ephesians says to be imitators of God. Um, as beloved children, and live a life of love as Christ has loved us, who gave himself as an offering and a sacrifice to God that we might be reconciled to him. And we pray, Lord, that today as we celebrate your reckless love, we'd embrace this vision for us to become like you in our lives of reckless love. And we pray in your name, amen.